Welcome to Coaching Conversations, a weekly discussion of topics related to coaching and the sport of volleyball at all levels. I'm your host, John Foreman, author of the CoachingVB.com blog and co-developer of the Volleyball Coaching Wizards Project. Let's dive right in. Welcome to episode 24 of the podcast. Uh, in this case, my continuing discussion with David Gill from Vert on things related to warm-ups. No concussion talk this time. I think we got through all of that in the first part of the segment in episode 23. But we did carry on into some other stuff in terms of uh, bringing athletes along during a season, especially in regards to what he's been seeing from teams in this uh, spring 2021 and all the influences that that we've a lot of us have experienced for sure. Uh, you know, we, he brought up teams that have had to stop and start multiple times, and how they've influenced how that's influenced how they've been able to train, because obviously that creates all sorts of issues. And and I I'm seeing it in my own conference here that Madai plays in uh, the AMCC, our crosstown rivals, I guess, Hilbert is in a situation right now as I record this on March 21st, the men's team is, I, I don't know if they're officially off of it right now, but they they just had to, they just missed their third of, of three matches in conference that they've had to postpone because they've been in some sort of COVID protocol situation that we found out about like 10 days ago or something along those lines. Uh, as a result, of course, I'm assuming they haven't been able to train in this time period. They're going to play, I believe, on Wednesday of this week, their first uh, conference match, and actually their first match of the whole season. Uh, and then starting on, I believe, on Friday, they're going to play five matches in eight days uh, as part of trying to get in the, the seven conference matches that we're all playing this year. So that's, I mean, that's crazy. And he, and there's, a, I believe there's only seven guys on the roster because it's a first-year program, so they're, they're still trying to build it up. And the head coach over there also is the head coach for the women's team, which presumably has been doing some sort of training and maybe uh, scheduling a few, you know, kind of exhibition-type matches. I haven't talked to him yet to, to find out what they have been doing, and they don't have anything listed on their schedule uh, up on their website. Uh, but uh, I have to imagine that if the men got shut down, then the women probably would have had to have gotten shut down as well. And being the coach uh, for both squads, unless somehow he was leaving them to train with an assistant or something like that, that kind of disconnected them. But I know in my case, if I ever test positive, then both of my squads would have to shut down for the 10 day period or whatever. Uh, so that would, yeah, not be a lot of fun. So I, yeah, um, it's going to be interesting to talk to him just to see how he's, he's managed things, but it goes along with some of the stuff that David and I talk about in this conversation in terms of how do we, you know, especially the shorts, the, the small squad issue. I mean, I've got my own issue with, with only having nine guys and mostly not being able to have nine guys in practice. How do you be, how do you develop enough intensity and get enough of the repetitions, especially in the in regards to jumping and, and things along those lines, so that 
the guys are physically prepared to play at match intensity when the time comes. It's something that I've I've worried about because uh, I can't go anything like six v six and practice. I you know I I, I can do some four v fours, four v fives, that sort of stuff, and and I've, it's something that I've been working on in terms of finding ways of increasing the tempo to, to drive the intensity up a little bit. Um, but it's not easy. You got to get creative. You got to think about what you can do in terms of constraining things and. But but obviously still getting in the work that you need to be done. Um, and, and my solution has been to, okay, if we're doing like a 4v4, 4v5, maybe it's outsides and middle against right side and middle. Uh, do, do, are we making it attacking cross-court based? Are we making it more of a line-to-line sort of thing? Uh, doing wash balls to up the, the, the tempo level to keep the, the pace a bit higher to get more rallies in uh, within a, a specific time allotment, uh, to obviously to get the, the jumps up. Because actually, and you'll hear in this conversation, David talking about how he actually had a team where they just weren't getting enough jumps in to prepare them for matches because of, of some scheduling issues that they had. And so he, he talked with you know the coach about needing to do that. Because literally, they were it's they were going into situations where the hitters were getting twice as many jumps in a match as they were getting in practice, which is definitely suboptimal. Uh, and like I said, something that I was also concerned about a little bit myself. So I think it, I, you'll enjoy the rest of this conversation with David to go along with the first part. Uh, and I'd you know, love to hear your thoughts, on, especially if you're a college coach or a high school coach, because I, I know a lot of high school coaches have been dealing with this stuff as well, you know, what sorts of things that you're doing to to try to get match preparation when you've got some significant constraints. So enjoy, and I'd love to hear from you. Going back to the, the pre-match warm-ups, one of the discussions that we've had this year is, okay, since we can't do both teams sharing the court like we've done in the men's game, mm-hmm. what are we going to do? So we have to do some version of what the women do where one team gets the whole court. So how are we going to do that? And it was in our conference, for some reason, we ended up with doing three rounds of five minutes. There was talk about doing 10-10-5-5, but we broke that up. Uh, And I keep looking at it. And and clearly this comes from my experience being over in Europe where things, the warm-ups are done pretty straightforward. 10 minutes, boom, let's go. Uh, And I'm just like, there's a lot of warming, a lot of warming up going. What are we going to do with all this time? Um, so far, we've done we've just done the the five 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 in our non conference because other other conferences are shortening it up. Mm-hmm. But this weekend we have to do the first time in conference the three rounds. And I was talking to my guys. I'm like, what do you want to do for that third five minutes? So it's like there's some talk about well, let's play triples or. Except they only, I'm only gonna have eight guys, so I don't know how you work. I don't know how you play triples with eight guys. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't know if that's gonna work. Um, so we're probably just gonna add another segment of server pass in there. But it's just how much warm up is too much warm up because there is a fatigue element to this for all, especially the intensity levels that some programs go at during that 60 minutes from when the clock starts. 
or and and in cases where teams have like a servant pass period mm-hmm. before that, and not like in the morning, but before the game, I've seen them going at it in six v six scrimmages, like it's you know a midweek practice, and then they're supposed to turn around in, in thirty minutes and start a warm up all over again. You're going okay. Somewhere there needs to be a trade off here. Yeah, and well, it's it's certainly a really interesting topic because as I kind of think through it as you're talking about it, like switching up how you're doing warm up, how you're filling these kind of area gaps. Because when you look at volleyball specifically, all right, we we know it's a plyometric, like neurologically intensive sport, meaning like your 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 front row players are doing maximal effort jumps mm-hmm. often. Yep. Right. So it's not a cardiovascularly intense sport compared to so many others, right? When you look at a, you can't really look at it this way, but when you sit there, and I always think it's funny to do this, but you look at your outside hitters, division one, and your average set duration, it comes out to about a jump a minute, Okay. which sounds weird, right? (laughs) Obviously you can't look at it that way because within the rally itself, you'll have anywhere from three to five jumps within a 10 to 15 second time frame. Right. right. And then, but then you have rest. Mm-hmm. So the, the, you know, the, the heart rate, you know, has chances when you look at HRV research, right. It, it gets the calm and go up and calm and yeah. go up. You're, you're not really worried about that side of fatigue. You're worried mm-hmm. more about almost that, you know, muscle innervation to be able to fire and jump high. Right. Dial fatigue, that rapid pulse. So when you look at the warm up, you need a little bit of that, mm-hmm. obviously, to get ready to go. And like we discussed, you may find some players need more than others, right? And respond better. So if you're kind of looking to fill the gap, yeah, I mean, I, I would, you know, off the cuff here, I would think, yeah, I'm just going to do some more volleyball specific dynamic warm up that that specifically doesn't involve maximal jumping. Yeah, right? most programs before the match starts their hitters and blockers have jumped between 25 and 40 times on average. And that's pretty much across the board. Right. 25 to 40. So I usually just say 30 times. Um, So whenever I just look at match data, I would say plus 30. And that gives you your jump load for the day. Mm -hmm. And not to say that that's good or bad, right? We we don't know. We don't have programs who just, I wouldn't jump five times. Like maybe 30 is enough. Maybe (laughs) one kid needs 45 jumps. Yeah. Um, you know, one kid needs to to do some hip work, you know, because the right hip's always tight. And we're not going to, again, we're not going to sit here and just do a lot of static stretching, but some dynamic movement. Yep. Um, but it's interesting. If you got like five sections of five, what's the, what's the. Uh, it's it's the, three, three rotations of five. Three sections of five. And what's yep. the, so three rotations of five, what's the rest in between? It's, like, so it'll be, it's five alternating five. So we're not we're not allowed to pepper anything on the outside of the court. So basically, you do your five minutes. Yeah. You sit or stand or whatever or meet. The other oh, team's on for five, five minutes. and then okay. you're back, and then you're off, and then you're back, and then you're off. Five back on. Interesting. I mean, you can yeah. obviously it's you can make it work. So you have 15 minutes there. I I always just like to to look at at rest. But again, the rest piece, as we're talking through it, because it's not what I would put as the, you know, upper echelon of cardiovascularly intense sports, mm-hmm. more about just keeping movement, increasing range of motion and going and, and stimulating the central nervous system so that they're primed to jump their highest right away. Yeah. 
Um, right. And I, and I guess if that that helps, that would be the the angle at which I would design, you know, my warm ups, regardless of the yeah you know, the scenario that we're put in. <laughs> right, right, and and because the other side of it is, all right, what does the athlete need to do mentally to be to feel prepared? Because some guys are going to want to swing more, mm-hmm. some a couple of swings they're going to enough for them to get themselves loosened up. They're fine. They don't need any more. I've heard stories of, of players who needed precisely this number of repetitions because that's just, that's how they are somewhere along the way. They got into a pattern and they're not going to break that pattern no matter what. Um, others are much more laid back. Hey, if I get a couple of good swings, I'm good to go. It's all I need. Let's, let's get into it. You always you always look at uh, monotony in in training periodization throughout the week. Mm-hmm. You might have your pattern that works, but it's always good to switch those patterns up. What the research has shown you don't want to switch up if you know it works is someone's warm up prep. Yeah. It's like if you find something that works, like sure, there's going to be an experimental phase, right? It's like all right, well, let's try this and see how you adapt, and hopefully you have the data to be able to see like yeah, that worked well. Let's try that again. Um, but that's, that's age old, right? You look at yeah. any, any sports, that's the, to me, it's no different from the guys who wouldn't wash their socks if they won a game. It's, <laughs> it's the, getting yeah. into that, that mental state. And mm-hmm. then, you know, I'll go, I'll go back to, to uh, my experience with Olympic lifting because it, it's the same thing right. with all sports, but it, Olympic lifting is such a, like, it's all about the process you run your body through because mm-hmm. you're trying to move and a incredibly large mass over your head right well it's all about sequence of events now you can argue every sport is about sequence of events right it's just different sequences depending on what you're trying to do but to that point with any of my especially my serious lifters we would go through a very specific breakdown protocol of those movements to make sure that every freaking joint is ready to go Mm -hmm. and in doing so repeatedly, mentally, they're ready. Like, I know what I'm about to do yep. up here, and the nerves running through my body are primed and ready to go. There's no right. difference there in volleyball. It goes circles right back to one of the first things you talked about, which is that's why you take that crap seriously at all levels and warm up with commitment and mm-hmm. certainty. Again, even if you're not doing the world's best warm up, like, yeah. At least focus and take it seriously because that's your body taking seriously what is about to happen. Yep. Very hard to quantify, very hard to quantify how that translates. But those of us who've been you know, in the business long enough know that you know, getting serious about it, not to say you can't have fun, but being serious about the movement will not hurt your performance come match time. But not being serious will not help it. There you go. I actually, and this is just kind of goes back to the whole stretching thing and what you were talking about with the sprinters. I had a guy on my team when I was at Exeter. If I remember correctly, he was Taiwanese. He would come to practice a half hour ahead of time to stretch. (laughs) I'd see him over on the ground just doing like hurdler stretches for long periods of time. Like, what are you doing? Oh, getting ready for practice. And at one point I told him, I was like, listen, there is such thing as decreasing performance by stretching. Yeah. He's like, oh, I didn't know that. 
So I taught him something new. (laughs) (laughs) That's me with the shoulders anytime I work out. But those extreme circumstances. And I am going to, I'm going to do a super name drop here. Usually when I name drop it's someone most people haven't heard of, some researcher somewhere. (laughs) But I did have the opportunity a couple years back to spend a few days working with Carl Lewis. All right. And uh, one of the cooler moments of my kind of sports career, and, and again, I've gotten to work with some, you know, NBA teams and some big time athletes, mm-hmm. but I got to spend the day like running and racing and jumping against a 56 year old Carl Lewis guy's still on. Yeah. And <laughs> just want, doesn't go away. Does it <laughs> you want movement efficiency? Like I literally was able to quantify the fact that he was absurdly efficient still. Yeah. But it was great. Cause we're sitting there and you know, we're getting ready. You know, I, I'm not a spring chicken either. So I did, I'm warming up. I'm not going to start sprinting with Carl Lewis without no. getting my muscles warm. And one of the first things he says, yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I think he said something like, it's going to go a few minutes. Never stretch too much before I run. Don't want to decrease my speed. And I was like, you could see him going back to his, oh, his yeah. you know, Olympic days. And he's uh-huh. still a machine. He's, a, he's a, a track and field coach at University of Houston. Okay. I'll tell you this. He's, it's, it's one of the almost fairly rare instances where, you know, one of the elite athletes is actually one heck of a coach. Yeah. Quite impressive. But when they were doing their warmups, it was very specific, regimented. Mm-hmm. And as an exercise, I'm like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And he's just like, boom, 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 boom. I love it when people can tell me why right. you're doing yeah. that. If you don't know why, either figure it out or change it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, just out of curiosity, any new uh, findings or observations from this spring women's volleyball season and all of that that's going on with it's, that? It's been tough, John. It's been <laughs> tough for me to kind of, like I said before, kind of put my thumb on things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I love being able to find these connections but the strong majority of what I've been doing with my team uh, and, and with some teams almost on a daily basis is actually just helping programs design their day-to-day jump loads by position. Yeah. One thing I've noticed is more and more coaches have really opened up to us and just to the concept of, okay, we, we've all learned more doesn't necessarily mean better. Um, but how can we, you know, this, this kind of information now has been out for heck, including this year, almost nine years now, yep. jump in general. and it's evolved a lot. So now it's been really cool to see programs start to get a lot more detailed in, all right, not only what is a low, high, medium load day, but when during the week should we be doing that low, high, medium day mm-hmm. to make sure we are primed for game day. But this spring, has been, uh, I guess, part of my French, completely effed up in that I've got, you know, one program, for example, called me the other day. I'm like, all right, David, we've never done this before. We have a Saturday-Sunday match and then a Saturday-Sunday match. But now another team wants to make up in the middle of the week, Tuesday, Wednesday. <laughs> and, and it was funny. And I, I straight up said... <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, look, let's, let's just think, cause, cause you know, obviously this program, like so many are like, this sounds insane. Like there's, there's yeah. no 
feasible way in this sport for you to prepare your athletes for that. It's just not, they're not even ready. Right. Uh, how about Saturday, Sunday, one game Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday, because you have this week off. And so it's been, a, it's been neat to then say, all right, so how do we prep now? We're going to switch because Wednesday is usually our peak day because we usually do Friday, Saturdays. Mm-hmm. So Wednesday can still be our peak day that week. Our athletes are kind of used to that already, which is good. Right. Even though not to Saturday, Sunday. So we put a day off on Monday. Like it's, it's, uh, it's been a juggling act for the programs. And it's been cool because I've been a, very involved with sure. teams on it. Uh, unfortunately, you know, there have been some freak injuries as always, but for the most part, I would say most programs I've talked to have straight up said, we have not been nearly as damaged as we, we were afraid <laughs> with, uh, I mean, that, that one of the programs I talked to has been shut down six separate times. Wow. How do you get any semblance of like load development? I, mean, I think it's yeah. three, Four of them was in the fall, and then two or three of them were in the spring. And it's just like, right. uh, yeah, that's I can't, I... yeah, right. And so, so it's like, Steve, what do you think? I'm like, I'm literally telling you what I think because there's no, <laughs> there's no there's data no, on anything yeah, like this. <laughs> you know, so, so we'll, we'll literally talk through it. It's like, what mm-hmm. do we do high day here? It's like, well, here's why I think we should do it here. Let's talk through it, and here's why. Okay, that makes sense. That's the best you can do. Yeah, when you're in this kind of scenario, so. Um, I think that, and then the, the, the other piece that we talked about a little more was, was I've had more conversations and more programs, not that this isn't always done, but it appears they're just looking more specifically at the, when are we doing what in practice Sure. that we can get the most out of what it is we're trying to accomplish Yeah. because, you know, there's been instances where, you know, they'll tag their match data and then they'll tag their kind of six V six data. And that's a really cool way of saying like, all right, in our 66, are we getting that match intensity in those match numbers? Mm-hmm. And in a lot of cases you are. And in some cases you're like, we're not. Well, I talked to one team in particular, like, David, we're never getting our match numbers in our 66. Yeah. The question was, when are you running your 66 in practice? Well, most of the time you're running it. I think so I, I, the practice, yeah. like an hour and 40 minutes in yeah. the practice. Okay, if you're if you're trying to work them in a fatigue state, okay. I'm um, obviously I can't tell a program, you know, don't do that. Um, there's you obviously you want to be able to work them fatigue, see how they feel, see how they communicate. Okay, I get it. But if you're trying to compare it to a match, I recommend starting practice like you're starting a game. Right. Do your game prep. Yep. Run through your six v six. See what you need to work on. Work on it, and then you know then the fatigue will start to set in, but you'll have mm-hmm. had time to get that 66 in. They're primed, work on the yeah. skill, they're primed, they will learn, and then we can move on to other things. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's been, I think it's, I think a lot of coaches would, would even experienced coaches would argue this has been like last fall when they're like, we're not training, we're not playing. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's do some experimentation on, on periodization, on when we do what, like uh, in practice, during practice, at what parts yeah. of practice, uh, really yeah. get, get be able to teach. Yeah, if you if you got the capability of getting measurements, then the, the sky's the limit. As long as you know, as long as you're not stupid with your analysis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we're talking about a lot of these things. Obviously, I mean, we're, we have a lot of programs have access to one of our systems or another, but. Mm-hmm. It kind of goes without saying. It obviously is very helpful when you're able to objectively say, 
yeah, you know what? Doing our weekly periodization this week, our, our last two weekends were our best two weekends. Right. We jumped our best, and hopefully we also played our best. When those two things overlap, we're the happiest. Yeah. Like, oh, those are your jump, a great jump match. It's like, really? Because we sucked. Well, you jumped on. <laughs> but when those things overlap, it's, yeah, obviously the, the value is incalculable where you can say, all right, we have a kind of a pattern that works. Mm-hmm. We, we should still tweak it a little bit from here and there just to, you know, continue to get adaptation from the athlete's body. But once you kind of know what works, then let's face it, that's, a di- that's, that's the difference between especially these evenly matched teams. It's like yeah. optimized to go, they might dominate a team that they otherwise shouldn't dominate. So, Yeah, one of the, the, the challenges for me has been, like I said, I've got nine guys total. Very rarely do I actually have nine guys in training. And right now I don't even have nine guys for, for matches because I have one guy who missed his, his once a month COVID test. Cause we have to test 25% of the roster each week okay. on a rotating basis. Well, he missed his, so automatic mandatory out for a week. So he missed two matches, which forced lineup changes. So he wasn't in practice this day, this guy can't work this day. This guy's got to go to a wedding, whatever. So I'm normally practicing seven or eight guys at a time, which obviously means nothing that even comes remotely close to six v six. Three and a half, three and a half. Yeah. It's like, okay, can I find ways of constraining the court and creating mm-hmm. scenarios? But you do worry about the conditioning side of it a bit. It's like, I can't get the match intensity there with this sort of stuff. So, you know, can I increase the pace here that maybe gets that a little bit, stretch something out a little bit longer than you might do to get it a little bit there. But it's, I I have to imagine there's a lot of people going through. Oh, no, I'm really glad right now. This is another one of, it's actually a very recent conversation. So we're, we're, you know, another one of our clients there hyper constrained with the times at which they can train. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had a call with their coaching staff and, and I, I've helped them. I've given them some numbers, some recommendations. And this is one of the times where I, I and this is rare coming from me. I was like, you guys need to get your numbers up. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're too low in that I worry come game day. Cause you, 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 right. you game should theoretically be a spike, but not like the biggest spike every week is your game. Yeah. And when I pulled a trend report on them, it was comical. I'm like, all right, I'm not looking at your, your, your website schedule, but you had a game on this date, this date, this date, this date, this date. They're like, yep. I'm like, see it. It's like, and, and I'm like, so what's been the plan? And she goes, David, it's not, it's not about the plans that we have these crazy time constraints because there's so many sports going on and we have access to the court at this time. And I said, look, you're, I mean, you're doing, you're getting jumps in, you're only getting, you're not getting 30, 40. I mean, you're, you're still getting, you know, sixties and seventies, but the problem is like, those are like your high days. Yeah. Uh, and then look, this match, this one, when your kids had 153 jumps, it's like practically double anything she'd ever done. Right. Um, and it's not ideal, but what we saw there with them to your point was on every one of their back-to-back days, there was a very statistically significant difference on their, their average high, right? So we look at the top 25th percentile of their, their high jumps. Yep. 
where we're talking like, you know, game one, these their outsides are between, you know, let's say 22.4 inches. And then next day they're at 20.8. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was like a precipitous decline. Like almost after set one on the second day, we just, <laughs> you know, and it's interesting Uh-oh. because the coach says like, David, I see it. So you telling me that isn't surprising. Cause I, you know, I put a report together. I said, look, you're, you're day two. You guys are not, you're not there. So again, we talk about conditioning for the sport. It's not like they're huffing and puffing, but neurologically it's not there. They haven't yeah. they built that. So the answer to that, one of the, the ways that I believe will work well. Some programs have done this. Um, a friend of mine, Shane White of uh, University of Waterloo in, in Canada, he's one of the first person to introduce me to this very specific concept a few years ago, where he said, look, one of the things they found that worked the best for them to practice more efficiently, like with the time they had and the jumps they had, mm-hmm. was, and I'm going to get some of these numbers wrong. You might, you might actually know these numbers offhand, but it goes back to that specificity where he's like, we knew that, Per rotation, our middles jumped X amount during X amount of time. Sure. I won't get the numbers wrong if I just use X. See there that? you go. Exactly. See. So what we started doing is, all right, we're going to jump X amount of times with, uh, you know, X minus 20% of rest. So we're going to, you know, cut down the rest they'd get in the game just to mm-hmm. up the interval intensity a bit more. Yep. And we also told our guys in this particular case, because guys, today you have this many jumps. Now, of course, as coaches, he'll fluctuate, but he wants the, co- he wants the athletes to know you have this many jumps. And right. What does that do? They use those jumps. He's like, yeah, don't wait. Yeah. They don't want to waste them. Yep. Like, don't, don't waste it. And it, and for him, when he said, he's like, Dad, I just felt it, it made them focus more, but we loved it. And we saw it translate onto the court because it was, it was sports specific, but we could work through the skill and we were literally, matching game intensity, you know, times X. Sure. Um, and that's something, again, you'll, you will need some data to do it, but it's not that hard to do. Uh, I've talked to quite a few of our women's programs and we're putting together some numbers there so that they can be more sport, you know, more specific mm-hmm. some programs want to do it based on time. Some programs want to do it based on number of jumps, whatever, but, but being efficient, and how you use that in the interval aspect to mimic a game, I think is one way that a program that's hyper limited. Right. Can get closer to what you need to do. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Takes a little bit of creativity. Yep. I think, I think a lot of coaches are learning that right now. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> when we, we had, um, was it University of San Diego coach? Beth? I think it was uh, uh, Jen Petrie was talking about having to play eight matches with only eight players over a, a couple of week period because half her team was on COVID protocol. And the other had to, you know, well, okay, these are the players we got. Let's go play. We got we to gotta get these matches in. So, Yeah. <laughs> Oh, hopefully, hopefully she, you know, figures something out super unique with that, that she can take into the fall yep. with the whole team. Yeah. And it, it will be interesting. And, uh, you know, you talked a lot about how programs have been good about bringing athletes back up and it's been a real focus. It's, I mean, throughout the whole NCAA, I can't speak to other organizations, but there are specific return to play protocols in place. Like in our case, 
when we started training this fall, this, uh, this semester, we could only go for the first week every other day. And then for the next two weeks, it was five days a week. And then, okay, after that, you can do your normal six days a week, one day off sort of situation. So you wonder how much of that sticks yeah. when we get back to a, an unrestricted sort of situation. That was, there's a, I remember uh, a number of clients, like, I guess this was at the end of summer last year. Mm -hmm. They had reached out about, all right, we're having a meeting, you know, with the board, the ABCA, and we're trying to present something to the NCAA for return to play. So they kind of asked what my thoughts would be in an ideal situation. And I was like, well, look, you know, we'd love to have a bare minimum of five weeks on the court before you have to have a game to try to ramp them up. If we could have eight weeks, sure. and this is something that I talked to Dr. McDonald about too. It was like eight weeks, even if the first three weeks are with strength staff, if we can get more mm -hmm. with strength, that'd be great because they're the ones really helping build that tending capacity. Yep. But that, you know, would be really, really helpful because when you look at normal fall, it, the uh, team loads, see if I can do this without my hand going to my background, but team loads start highest because of camp and then just decline throughout the year as opposed to kind of starting here and building um, so they can ramp the athlete up. Everyone's talking about athlete ramp up now because of COVID. Right. It's like always be doing this. To yes. Start. <laughs> it's but they're not it's only, unfortunate that this caused something yeah. that should have been happening anyway to finally happen. So, so hopefully, hopefully they're just given, you know, my, my wish would be for, uh, you know, men's and women's volleyball that we're just, you're just given a little more time on court. Like I think the NCAA is hopefully starting to shift away from like more playing time equals more injury risks. Like, well, not if done properly, more playing time equals more development and preparation for the season. Mm -hmm. um, and so just adding a, a couple weeks where it can be like spring or it's limited. Like you said, like they can even kind of hold coaches hands a little bit and say, here's the amount of hours you get. Yep. Um, so it would allow you to start them at, you know, their 40 to 60 jump range and then grow roughly eight, 10% week over week. Yeah. And at least, you know, then at least uh, from a scientific data driven perspective, you're being the best steward of your athletes as you, as you can. No. The unfortunate thing is things are kind of inverted in terms of the teams that probably have the most physically prepared athletes have the longest preseasons. Mm -hmm. That's division one. Here down in division three, you get like, I don't know if I forget exactly what the count back is from your first available date of competition. And it ends up you getting like a week and a half. <laughs> you know, the way it works out you're going what i was speaking with uh you know another coach about that when he was telling me about the this a couple of years ago he's giving me he was educating me on the division three schedule mm -hmm. he's like so what do you think i'm like it's not i mean <laughs> it's not optimal <laughs> yeah not optimal. i hope and pray your athletes are able to get some kind of conditioning in before they show up on the court yeah you know for a few weeks at least Right. Um, it does pay dividends if they're able to, Yeah, but, but yeah, you know, hopefully again, we hope this educates a lot of not just coaches, but administrators to say, right. you know, here, here are changes we can make that aren't that complex. And I get it. 
and get those with especially smaller schools. There's the budgetary issues, bringing kids mm-hmm. back earlier. I understand. Yeah. yeah. I'm very thankful. I don't have to <laughs> have a solution for them. <laughs> but, yeah, no kidding. But, you know, you also kind of weigh, you kind of also weigh those costs of, you know, if we can, perhaps if we can statistically show a, a decrease in injury as a result of these changes, mm-hmm. maybe that would help. Yeah. You know, Can't so hurt. That's for sure. Some research institution may be watching this. Do There you go. Start that There's, up. Well, that's right. I'm, I'm sure it'd be the source of multiple PhD. Yeah. Theses. Uh, 100%. 100%. Thanks for listening. Check out the show notes on the website, coachingbb.com, for links and further information about this episode. You'll also be able to find the complete back catalog of prior coaching conversations. While you're there, you can sign up for my mailing list. Members find out in advance what conversations I'll be doing next and can submit questions if they like. If you'd like to support this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash coachingbb. Patrons get early access to every episode, as well as other special benefits along the way. I'm always interested in hearing what you think about coaching conversations and ideas you might have of topics and or guests for future episodes. You can send them to me at john at coachingbb.com, tweet them to at coachingbb, or hit me up on my Facebook page, Coaching Volleyball. All the best until next time.